0: Hello and welcome to the podcast. I've often pointed out that the BBC's income is being squeezed. The real value of the licence fee is at least 30% less than it was 10 years ago. But the income of the other public service broadcasters, or media should we say, has been badly hit by a 15% drop in advertising revenue as the digital supergiants hoover up more and more money and companies like Amazon Prime, which previously largely ignored advertisers, are now chasing them. Against this background, the new media bill is moving through Parliament. At the moment, it's in the Lords. It proposes significantly relaxing the public service requirements of Channels 3, 4 and 5, and also the BBC. So, is public service broadcasting becoming a thing of the past? One of the most impressive academic observers of what is happening is Catherine Johnson, Professor of Media and Communications at the University of Leeds, author of the book Online TV, and a member of the Department of Culture, Media and Sports College of Experts, and, as will become evident, not a great fan of the regulator Ofcom. Professor Catherine Johnson, thank you very much for joining us. I was in Channel 4 uh, last week and a lot of people are almost shell-shocked by about the cuts that are being imposed and by the drop in advertising revenue which is affecting uh, all the public service broadcasters other than the BBC. How serious do you think this revenue crisis is?
1: It is serious. There is a long-standing shift that's taking place and we've seen this happening over time and I think the pandemic probably... Created this kind of weird bubble that slightly did um, change the way people were viewing for a short period of time. And now we've seen, a, since that sort of lockdown has finished and everything, we've seen a change and a, and a sort of a, an escalation of this decline in advertising revenue. But the other thing that's happening, which I think is really problematic for the public service media organisations in the UK in particular. Is an increase in other big players moving into online advertising. So, you know, you've got Netflix and Amazon and these kind of big players moving into ad supported services because the subscription video on demand model is not working on its own. So there is even more competition in that space and really the kind of long-term solution for the commercial public service broadcasters is to generate more advertising revenue on their broadcast video on demand services that space has now become a lot more competitive so it's a challenge.
0: Because initially, one of the selling points of Netflix and Amazon, if you like, was you can watch this uninterrupted without ads. You just subscribe. Um, And now they're moving to advertising. So you've had a situation as well where Google and everyone else have already been taking a lot of advertising and we've seen really public with local newspapers and elsewhere. Now, if Amazon and others move into advertising as well as subscription, is that almost irreversible? I do think that the public service broadcasters... Who were funded by, who are funded by advertising, will inevitably see revenue fall. It's only the question of the speed with which it falls.
1: Yeah, absolutely, they will. There's a number of different questions here. So there is one around their own strategies, and I think one of the ongoing problems for all of the public service media organisations is that their broadcast video on demand services are still seen as places to go to watch specific things rather than places to go to browse. So we did some audience research a couple of years ago and that was what we found. People went to Netflix to browse and they went to all four, as it was called then, or iPlayer, to watch a specific programme. So there is, just isn't the same kind of behaviour of just going in and having a look around, you know. And, and so the broadcast video on demand services are often not the first place that people go. And all of the PSMs are talking about this digital first strategy. And that's part of what they mean. Like their VOD services need to become the front door and the way in that people take to viewing and that's not happening. And I, <laughs> is it going to happen? Can they make that happen? Because if they can't make that happen, they're not going to be able to change this, dec- this decline in their funding model. But it, I also think this speaks to a, a wider issue around our current media market. And I know we're going to get to the media bill. And this is something that I feel that our current policy debate just doesn't want to engage with these wider changes that are happening to our media market the place of these large global platforms that operate across multiple markets with a very particular business model that all of the public service media organizations in the UK are competing with those large organizations but they're also dependent on the infrastructure that they provide, so they're dependent on the infrastructure provided by Amazon or Google or whatever.
0: They're dependent in the sense that then they themselves don't own their own transmitters. So if they, are rather, they, they, if they want to get access to a to a larger audience, or particularly a particularly worldwide audience, they have to go to people who are competing with them.
1: Exactly. This that. is an
0: extraordinary situation yes. they yes. must feel they're in. Um, yes. Please, sir. Uh, please, sir. Uh, will you carry uh, my output, which is threatening? We hope will threaten your output. Yes. Doesn't quite add up, does it?
1: It's not. And they're not just competing with them in that way, but also the wider sort of business model that that the likes of Amazon and Google operate on is around data extraction. So... Their business model is based on trying to extract as much data from us as possible, from as many data points as possible, which is why they operate in multiple different markets. And then using that, whether that's to sell advertising or to improve their and personalise their service or sell that data to third parties. So,
0: Because what it means to, presumably, what it means to advertisers is saying, whereas the other broadcasters have to, as it were, put the programmes out and hope that an audience will find it, uh, we know... Ie those you know organisations who've been accessing all that information you outlined just before can target uh, your advertising much more closely, so you will get far more value out of advertising with us than you will get with the other broadcasters. Yeah, but how do you answer? How do how do you answer that?
1: Well, then also just to make, just to make <laughs> it worse, when our broadcasters engage with these platforms, so when they are delivering uh, iPlayer through um, an an Amazon-operated television set. So a lot of television sets have Amazon or Google operating systems. For example, they have to negotiate for the data that they can get back from that. When they put their their, um, content on YouTube, they have to negotiate for the amount of data that they get. So on the whole, and these are private, so we don't know, but we could assume that the platform operators are getting more data about what the viewing habits are and et cetera of, of people when they're watching the VODs of public service broadcasters than the public service broadcasters are. <laughs> so there's a further kind well, of loss. The, well, the, well, <laughs> I, well,
0: I mean, the shareholders of those companies are going to say to them, hold on, you've got an advantage here. Don't waste it. Don't hand it over to the other broadcasters who've had it, you know, had it uh, you know, good for a long time. Don't give them additional information which will able, enable them to compete more successfully with us. Yeah. Do the minimum that you're required to by legislation, whatever, and keep your special the benefits and we'll prosper. Yes. That's a pretty it's a pretty tough thing. And the other thing about public service broadcasters, of course, which they're dealing with, which needn't worry, uh, I suppose, the likes of Amazon and elsewhere and uh, Netflix and other, is that public service, one of the key elements of public service is that what they make should be available to everybody. And it's not at the moment, or would not be, If they gave up entirely on, as it were, what we all call old-fashioned terrestrial broadcasting and went digital, because we still have this problem that they can't solve, but perhaps only the governments can solve, about the digitally, what would we call them? Deprived, underprivileged? Anyway, those people who don't have access. What's your latest understanding of the numbers there of people who just can't at home? access the internet and so on or don't wish to but anyway probably can't i've been told the figure is something round like one and a half to two million still
1: yeah i think it is i don't have the figures in front of me although i do have them somewhere but i think it is um it is around that and there's there's two there's two. And there
0: are still also parts of the country. That it is not accessible. Very you know, remote, yeah. which are not accessible. So, if as an essential element of public service broadcasting is availability for everybody, none of the broadcasters can go wholly digital until it is available to everybody.
1: Yeah, absolutely. And the DCMS is actually looking at this at the moment. So, I'm working with them on some uh, research around this area, around the future of digital a TV distribution. So I I think there is a sort of a recognition from government that this is an issue and this is a problem and they need to like do they need to intervene or not what needs to what needs to happen but one of the things that really strikes me about this is we recently I'm working on a large project that's looking at the ways in which public service media organisations are responding to the rise of platforms and streaming and that's looking at six different countries and we did an analysis of all of the regulatory and policy documents related to the public service broadcasters in the UK so that included all of the recent debates from 2019 up to last year and what really I was quite surprised by this but in some ways it's not surprising was universality is the most contested term in those debates and there is this line of argument that goes if public service media organisations can no longer reach everybody And they're no longer watched by everybody. So there's two, those two different things like, you know, can they reach everyone if we move online? But there's also increasingly certain audiences are moving away from them and not using them. Then maybe universality isn't a relevant concept anymore. So I think this is a real battleground for people who care about public service media. I always thought universality will be the one value that can never be challenged. It's fundamental. So I think it's quite worrying that there are some people that are trying to use what's happening, what's changing in terms of behaviour, to challenge the applicability, relevance of that concept altogether.
0: Well, that's the background to the situation where we have a new media bill, long overdue in many ways, uh, going through Parliament, now in the House of Lords, which... A number of people are very worried about because what it does, two of the things that the bill does or doesn't do, really, it it no longer specifies individual areas of, if you like, public service broadcasting content that needs to be provided. It does actually mention news and current affairs and children. But so far, there's no reference to religion, ethics, science, arts, anything like that. The second thing is, as I understand it, it's going to withdraw or going to say to the regulator, Ofcom, you need no longer measure yourself as it were independently whether the broadcasters are providing such programs or a wide range of programming in other words they're relying on the broadcasters so we broadly have a situation where we're saying in these difficult circumstances trust the broadcasters trust the regulator we've looked at the pressures that the broadcasters are under because of revenue and then we've had the behaviour of rather hands off behaviour shall we say of Hofcombe in a number of different areas So how crucial is it? I mean, you can't... I remember Greg Dyke once saying at an Edinburgh television festival you can only regulate if people are making a profit. So one has to be sensible about this. But are you worried about the fact the media bill does not mention these specific areas, allowing, in a sense, so-called public service broadcasters to um, decide for themselves what they should provide?
1: I am concerned about that. There has been some response to this in the latest amendment of the bill has included the language that they have to provide a wider range of genres. So genre was completely removed before. So at least it is in there. So I'm pleased that there has been some... So it says
0: a a wider, but it doesn't specify, does it?
1: No, it doesn't specify. Other than, as you say, news and children's, there's no specification at all. It just says a wide range of genres. Um, I would have preferred a full range of genres (laughs) if we're being pedantic. It also, and a colleague pointed this out to me just this week, and I hadn't spotted it, it removes inform, educate and entertain which was previously in the Communications Act. So that sense of the sort of values or principles of public service media, that it should be about informing, educating and entertaining, is no longer in the legislation or in the proposed legislation. So I think this is a problem. I really worry about a shift towards thinking about public service media in terms of just news and current affairs and informational kind of content it goes against a couple of things so firstly the idea that public service media provides a mixed diet it's about having a range of access to things and we go right back to the origins of public service media culture was absolutely important to it providing a range of access to different kinds of culture and cultural events but I think it also undermines the role that we know that things like drama soaps comedy entertainment play in supporting citizenship and democracy so my two examples I always roll out I've got a new one now is Rose on Strictly Come Dancing so she was a deaf contestant who really widened people's understanding of disability and then more recently Mr Bates versus the post office the ITV drama absolutely wonderful drama which has galvanized significant political movement around the post office scandal that had not happened even though that scandal had been covered in BBC podcasts in a panorama special on the news and so on
0: and also radio afforded an exceptional series i say it didn't do anything fresh in terms of the information but what it conveyed was the human experience which resonated with everybody but if that's the sort that's the sort of worry that we have about the the bill in terms of not specifying certain areas then there's the concern about the regulator um and it, it just seems to a lot of people, a lot of people I've talked to, that this regulator is very much hands-off. And uh, there's a particular worry. There's the worry, obviously, would it report properly on those elements of public service we mentioned. But there's also what it, its attitude to uh, news and current affairs and the scope and the freedom it's giving organisations like uh, GB News in this area. I mean, just towards this week or last week, it, it, it effectively said the conspiracy theory put forward about cancer on GB News. Uh, was was fine because it's free speech. Now, I don't want to, you know, damn damn the regulator, but it's difficult to see us in any other way. So, A, why is it doing that? And second, when we look forward to the general election, we have in GB News an organisation which is funded, which is very close to a particular political party, even to the right of the Conservative Party. We've got members of the Conservative Party MPs interviewing their own Chancellor. I mean, what is happening here?
1: I know, I worry about this. And I worry that there is a an attitude within Ofcom that sees this as a, just a general, there's a general shift in public opinion. If people don't mind it, then it's okay, we don't need to police it, that sort of line or or argument. And that for me, so in, in terms of things like, you know, politicians interviewing each other or, you know, ha- run, ha- having their own shows that are using them as a platform for, for putting forward their ideas and, you know, members of cabinet and so on, you know, and that, that seems to me problematic. And I, I worry that what you don't have from Ofcom is a really a sort of set of sort of principled values that, you know, and and for me, that's something that I think the media bill should be clearer on. So the media bill is trying to move away from lots and lots of very specific quotas and things to being more principles based. But then if you read the media bill and ask, well, what are the principles, it doesn't really set them out. And it leaves a lot of those principles to Ofcom. So Ofcom have an enormous amount of work to do in terms of interpreting the media bill, in terms of interpreting prominence regulation, in terms of interpreting what the broadcasting code is as it applies to video on demand services, um, who it applies to, which kinds of services it applies to. So much of the media bill is in Ofcom's hands and we need to be really subjecting what Ofcom do to a lot of scrutiny once the media bill is passed.
0: Well, and also Ofcom is run by Michael Grade, who is now a Conservative peer, who has come out in favour of privatising Channel 4, who's uh, supported Lawrence Fox in some of his statements. This is not a uh, objective public service regular, is it? It's a man who's clearly, for this stage in his career, for whatever, has bought the package of basically the market can deliver and don't interfere with it. So there's a... A real really see there. Well, all of this, of course, leads to the, the, the BBC, which, as we've said before, has lost um, income in real terms of well over 30% over the past years, which has been under constant attack by the government in terms of its impartiality and so on, or alleged lack of impartiality, although, of course, what should be is duly impartial. Um, and, of course, this uh, campaign that's also been going on against the licence fee. Um, so we're now moving, and presumably it will continue through the next election, whoever's in power or whatever, to look at the future funding of the BBC. You have most people not liking the licence fee because they care, correctly, it's regressive which it is. On the other hand, <laughs> everything else they look at. You know, one of the big things that Mrs. Thatcher wanted to do was advertising. Well, they still talked about now. Well, if you did now, that now, given the state of advertising, you'd destroy the rest of the industry. So that's not on. We talked about subscription. Well, that you know, there's a significant part of the population which would have effectively its TV, their TVs turned off if you did that. And then you're also saying, you know, the richer you are, the more you can afford. So it's fiendishly difficult. Do you think there's any... New, or perhaps it's a multiple way of funding the BBC, which is is on the whole acceptable to all of the different elements. Or are we still stuck to having to say, well, the license fee is awful, but the alternatives are worse?
1: It's a complicated question. Personally, I think if you look if you look at all the different options, there are only two, and that's staying with the license fee and go or going for some kind of household tax of some kind or household levy of of some kind and the best model
0: rather at the rate the rates used to be that is to say the the bigger and richer the house you're in
1: and uh, yeah the more
0: you would pay but it tries to keep tries to keep it a bit distant from direct government so government can't say you do that coverage we don't like you won't get an increase.
1: That's right. So in that it has a lot of benefits on the licence fee, that that kind of approach, because uh, it can be progressive. So the more money you have, the more you pay, the less you have, the less you pay. And also you can make collection easier because you can attach collection to something else like council tax, for example. So it's also sort of beneficial in that way. And um, the other thing that it's it, generally that model tends to do, which I think is a good thing, but could be politically tricky, is it tends to be a universal fee regardless of use. So when the license fee was introduced, that was, that was the kind of idea, I think the assumption was everyone's going to want to listen to radio. We've gradually moved into a situation where we attach the license fee to the use of BBC services, increasingly with the sort of attachment to iPlayer and so on, rather than seeing it, as we do with other public services, that you pay for it regardless of whether you use it or not. So I don't have children, but I, my taxes still pay for schools, and so they should.
0: So you're looking there, possibly there, at something which, whereas there's a sort of household tax, whichever form it is, but the, wouldn't that give you a sort of minimum service that everybody could access, have access to? And maybe people would say news, current affairs, regional news, a number of other things. And then on top of that, maybe packages that you have to pay for. Is that something?
1: That's well. That's more along the subscription model, really. You know, and personally, I would not be in favour of that because I think it dilutes the fundamental, goes back to our fundamental concepts of public service media and the benefits that can come that are not just around news and information and that's really been a sort of fundamental tenant and I think we would lose something incredibly important if we were to lose that.
0: I mean you said very clearly when you gave evidence to the Digital Committee of the House of Lords I think in uh, 2002, uh, you as it were supported what the EBU that's the European Broadcasting Union set out a set of four principles that should underline the funding of the public service remit in the digital media age one stable and adequate presumably so people don't have to can plan in the longer uh, reasonably long term mm-hmm. independent from political interference you've raised that fair and justifiable transparent and accountable and you added a fifth you said support the provision of merit goods could you define merit goods what did you mean by merit goods
1: So this is the idea of goods that are of benefit to people and to society that you might not necessarily always consume. so a good way of thinking about it is your five veg a day right? <laughs> we know that it's good for us but we might prefer to eat a burger or a bar of chocolate <laughs> um, and that also that wouldn't be provided out otherwise so that the society should provide because they might not be provided otherwise So it's, it's those two things together so it's really thinking about public service media in that sense
0: But the question is, who's thinking about it? Because what we know is there are a very large number of international competitors who don't like it at all. We know that the Daily Telegraph and the Daily Mail have been waging a war against the BBC for a variety of reasons, but also that Rupert Murdoch has long, long thought that – and his organisation has long thought that there shouldn't be such an organisation, despite the evidence in the United States – where, what, 80% of Republican supporters still believe that Donald Trump won the election because all they listen and watch to are people who tell them that, even those, those who provide it, including Rupert Morgan's organisation, know that's not the truth but can't afford to tell the truth because it would affect their revenue. So, and the warnings are everywhere, but anyway, the, the, so is the opposition to the future of public service broadcasting. Do you get any sense that the Labour Party, if it comes into power, as does seem likely has thought through a great many of these issues, because when we've tried to approach them to get a sense of their thinking, there's a bit of a silence.
1: I think it's a a real problem with our, uh, but I would say this because I'm a media scholar, that media policy is just at the bottom of everybody's agenda. It's not considered important. And considering how important the media are for how we understand the world around us and how much time we spend with the media, I always find that quite astonishing so i don't think that this is a you know has been a particular sort of policy priority for the labour party having said that in my experience there is cross party support for public service media there are also detractors on, on both parties so it is actually not necessarily a party political issue there are strong supporters across
0: So what surprised me about this is that in the end, we don't appear as a society to be able to say what is it that we wish to pass on to our children and our grandchildren? What is the story we want to tell about our history and about our country now? What do we want? We've got a problem with a number of scientists, with a number of engineers. Uh, Hold on a second, what do we want to do about that? We have problem with languages. We need to compete more in the world. Most of us can't speak a foreign language. Uh, Does the media have no role to play? I'm just astonished that we are unable to, in a way, come together and say whatever our concerns about people who are providing this, there are some things of public importance that we need to impart and make sure people have access to. And I sound as if I was talking 30, 40, 50 years ago. I don't hear that conversation. Am I just uh, as old as I feel I am?
1: (laughs) And this, to be honest, going back to Ofcom, I think part of the problem is that Ofcom was set up primarily as a competition regulator and has increasingly taken on the roles of a public service regulator and I don't really feel there are lots of brilliant people at Ofcom and I you know a, a lot of the work they do I really support but I sometimes don't feel that as an, as an organisation it really has that sort of fundamental understanding of public service media as a system and I think that it you know that there needs to be more of that personally I would like to see a separate independent body responsible for setting the license fee and I think that should be completely taken out of the hands of parliament I don't think it should be given to Ofcom it should, should be given to an independent body we have the same with politicians salaries right because it's politically problematic for them to be setting their own salaries it's politically problematic for them to be setting the BBC's license fee for, you know, the same reasons, it, it undermines the independence of public service broadcaster. So if I was going to ask for one thing from a next Labour government, that's the first thing that I would ask for.
0: And meanwhile, you hope the media bill is tightened just a little bit so that uh, at least these key public service areas are there in a year or two's time.
1: Yes. I also hope it's passed. <laughs> I mean, it is also needed. Oh, yeah. and it's late. We've been
0: waiting late. for it it's
1: for a late. very yes. long time. So I really hope it passes before we have a general election. Um, and that's the other thing.
0: <laughs> <laughs> well, Professor Catherine Johnson, thank you very much for talking to us. I hope we can talk to you again soon. Thank you.
1: Oh, it was a pleasure. Thank you for having me on.
0: And remember, all our paid members will receive the podcast almost a week in advance. So if you want to hear it first and receive my weekly blog please sign up now to patreon.com forward slash BibWatch. It's only £1.99 per month. You can also find the link in the description of this programme. Well, that's it for this week. And as you know, this podcast is presented by me, Roger Bolton, and it's produced by Kate Dixon. The sound is by Dave Kitto, and special thanks to Quinn Genty. It's a Good Egg production. Until next time, goodbye.